Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Steve Ditko created Spider-Man, X-Men, the Fantastic Four, and the Avengers, timeless characters whose stories were retold in the modern day with the creation of the Ultimate Marvel Universe. Join us as we journey through My Ultimate Year. Welcome to My Ultimate Universe Part 4. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. I am joined by Zach Dean, my co-host on the My Marvelous Year podcast, and today we are doing a My Ultimate Universe special. Again, this is Part 4. We're going to be talking about Ultimate Spider-Man, number 14 to 21. We're going to be doing Ultimate X-Men, number 15 to 20, and most importantly, the Ultimates, the launch, number 1 to number six this is a big year we're right around that sort of 2002 era um in terms of like release date that's starting to align a little bit more for the ultimate universe and if you are interested in what comics we're going to be reading um the order in which we'll be reading them you can go into the show notes for the episode if you're listening on uh, patreon where patrons can get these episodes six months early you'll find it in the episode release notes and of course you can always go um on over to comicbookherald.com and check out the Ultimate Universe reading order for the best all-time full reading list. But otherwise, Zach, let's talk some Ultimate Universe comics. What were your overall impressions for the year? Or for this um, I would say uh, some lower lows and some higher highs. Like, I liked some stuff here more than anything we've read, and I was bored by some stuff more than than I have been in the past. Uh, Specifically... Okay. Okay. I think it was probably the most interesting section for me since launch because Ultimates is so loaded with ideas. And even when it's not hitting, it's just loaded with things that have influenced comics, that have influenced the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, it is a remarkably influential work (laughs) for good and for ill i think in some ways and it's kind of fascinating to go back and check it out there are some things that i remembered well and don't like and there are some things that i had forgotten that i really enjoyed uh yeah yeah. i agree there's definitely stuff i forgot about that made me cringe but there were also other scenes that i was like this is great like this uh yeah let's uh let's jump into it so we read spider-man Ooh, i actually don't have the issue numbers in front of me do you i think it was 14 to 21 and uh, so this is the third story arc, sort of the mm-hmm. third volume in the Ultimate Spider-Man franchise by Brian Michael Bandis, Bendis and Brian Mark Michael Bagley. Bandis. And Bandis. <laughs> Man, that's a good Bandis and Bagley. Um, and uh, it's a Dr. Octopus, Craven the Hunter showcase mm-hmm. special, effectively. Uh, the issue or the, the you know storyline begins with Dr. Octopus has been in an accident. He is in a covert shield facility and he uh, effectively discovers that he is sensitive to light now and also the arms that he used for science have been grafted onto his body he takes the information poorly and uh as one would it's a pretty grotesque image of these arms like fused uh, to, to his, his body, incredibly right? yoked body like he's just been sitting there in the bed just well, getting buffer and buffer in that coma yeah and and one of the important things that you have to transition for doc ock 
from 616 to ultimate is how mm-hmm. strong he is, right? Like you have to transition the <clears throat> fact that this guy works his arms, doesn't take a day off, never works his legs. It's very <laughs> important that yeah. that transitions. And I, I appreciate that it did here. Um, he's the shield facility that he's in is one of the doctors running it or running things is uh, Dr. Henry Pym is involved. Yeah, kind of. Again, obviously in the w- ultimates. Kind, kind of, of a, a weird detail that appearance. doesn't seem to matter. Like, I forgot about that, and I was like, "Does this is this canon? Because this seems like it's going to kind of get pushed aside later. I mean, I think it works as canon in the sense that he has very heavy ties yeah, to S.H.I.E.L.D. Sure. as yeah, an yeah. organization, as we're going to find. So it's tying him to uh, S.H.I.E.L.D.-specific sciencing, as opposed to just doing his own thing, which is what we would know him as, as the Ant-Man and, and Giant-Man of Marvel. Um, but he shows up, and basically what Doc Ock discovers is, like, basically S.H.I.E.L.D.'s been hanging on to him as a potential weapon as a potential like what can we learn here kind of thing so they did they have far from i think the best intentions in keeping him alive and in in keeping him under wraps um and obviously as you'd expect he lashes out kills a bunch of doctors or shield guys and busts out some of those doctors and technicians are a good uh a good example of one of the problems i'm like realizing i have with um writing here his prose or his Uh dialogue specifically Uh like his banter and his like quick back and forth sometimes drives me nuts and sometimes is fine. Um, but you know, like you could chalk that up to just like personal preference, right? Like, oh, I don't find this cute. So, you know, but that's just me. I think a real problem is that he doesn't distinguish character voices often enough. Like everybody has that kind of cute banter and everyone sounds a little bit like a disaffected teenager often, <laughs> like including the, the, 50-year-old nurse technicians, these two men working on Dr. Octopus when he's still knocked unconscious and like, what'd you do this weekend? I just watched some Ashley Judd piece of trash. Who decides she gets to be a movie star? I don't know, same people who decided Molly Ringwald did. It's like, what? Like, this is a conversation you would hear between, like, two teenage boys, not two guys with, like, gray hair who are working in a medical facility. You know, like, that. that is just a good example of, mm. I think everybody kind of sounds the same. Everybody has the same type of conversations and has the same, like, sarcastic patter. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, there's a sameness to Bendis' pitter-patter, I think, that he's been critiqued for um, that, that I don't think is unfair. And I understand you can kind of have this aesthetic, right? Like, where in your dialogue where it's it's a little bit more lightweight overall or it's a little bit more serious overall right no one kind of breaks out of those bounds i think it's just when the actual topic seems totally out of place right like it seems silly for i don't know these two guys to be like catty about ashley judd (laughs) you know like that that just i mean it is it's intentionally so like he is very into the stormtroopers talking about um, their personal lives yeah. conversations, you know, like that is, that is clearly yeah. a hook for him. It's something he uses time and time again. I think a lot of times it can be kind of fun, like getting the, the I, I, I like that idea. Yeah. Um, the actual yeah. content of it though, can be like, yeah, like them critiquing old pop stars. You got to modulate that for the person who is speaking, right? Like, and sometimes that works spot on, right? Like we had that conversation in that Dr. Strange team up issue, where they were talking about, like, who's hotter, Winona Ryder, Angelina Jolie. And there was a bunch of stoners, like, all in this, uh, you know, trashy house living together, a bunch of burnouts. And I was like, yeah, that's the perfect mm-hmm. conversation mm-hmm. for a bunch of, like, 20-year-old burnouts to be having. Um, but now it's the same conversation, and like, it's uh, two guys in yeah. coats in, in a S.H.I.E.L.D. facility, so, right? Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. Um, the, the other, like, there's a, there's a thread running through this arc, which is that 
um, in class, Peter Parker's class, and all his classmates have this assignment where they have to do a presentation as a superhero. Like, what if you had if you had powers, what would they be, and what would you do with them? And present it in front of the class. I kind of like the setup as a way to get the teenagers to like talk about superheroes in a natural way, right? Like it makes them all spill their guts about how they feel about mutants and superheroes and superpowered people. It just rings so mm-hmm. cheesy as an actual assignment because it's just like, why would what is this for class? Like a social sciences class? Like what I, I don't know. That that felt cute in I disagree yeah, you, with that. You like entirely that entirely because because of the idea I don't even know if I liked it that much so much as it does feel like this is if this is the world you're living in where suddenly like everyone just saw Magneto holding the president hostage on the White House lawn and the X-Men busting out Mm -hmm. of the scene and they're going on talk shows everywhere and Spider-Man swinging around and he was literally at this school like this is a very these these are the biggest thing in the world yeah like these are the biggest stories in your world and this rising thing Um, the, the class idea of like Pick your favorite and come in and be them is maybe a little a little cheesy in the sense of like that actually that doesn't necessarily feel like a right high exactly assignment. yeah well at some point somebody <laughs> even says that um, but They're discussing like, them why makes are we sense. doing this this is a social science class like what does this teach us it teaches us nothing and I was like yeah exactly it's kind of weird it's like show and tell no I, I think talking about their place in the world makes sense um I I don't or like you know talking about the ethics yeah. of it like is this right or wrong would be interesting um but I think yeah literally like a uh, uh, yeah. That, though things. I get I get the intention of it. I don't I, I think, think in fifth grade I was Ferdinand Magellan right. for a speech. Yeah. Like I came in and you know I did a great Ferdinand Magellan impression. Um but by high school, probably when I was coming in full pirate costume, that was just my <laughs> choice as opposed to for a president. Yeah, I um yeah, yeah uh, though although I, I kind of see what he's getting at here because it does just like it gives a, a reason for these characters to talk about superheroes. Right. So like it gives an outlet it, it gives yeah, a reason that yeah. Liz Allen like kind of spews the fact that she hates mutants and she kind of hates superhero or continued mutant yeah, phobia. Right, right. Um, right. And then also it gives us our Gwen Stacy introduction, which uh, a bunch of the the students are hanging out talking about talking about superheroes and it's so weird that there's like all these new superheroes popping up and what is this new world? What are we mm-hmm. gonna? How do we fit into this new world? And Gwen Stacy gives mm-hmm. this like long monologue about like you know the. She's not. She's also not a part of the conversation. No, she, she's, she's literally like, leaning against um, a wall. It's almost like an Arrested like, Development camera pan out where you realize exactly. someone else was in the room. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and it's like, oh, Gwen's there, and she's about to monologue at Colin, for like three uh, minutes about like a page, like over a page worth of monologue where she's like, "Yeah, we must. We're a lot like the dinosaurs see in the comet, except the dinosaurs didn't have time to say oh shit before they went extinct, whereas we do. Yeah. And I think that you know superpowers." That's just whatever you're best at. So if that's, you know, playing basketball or playing the electric guitar, that's your superpower. And I think that's how we're going to prevent the superheroes from taking over is that we all just got to, you know, you can't sit around watching TV and cartoons on your butt anymore. You got to just do what you're best at. And it's like, what are you talking about? This is nonsense. Like, yeah, you, you got to just the best cutaway from that monologue would have been instead of everyone staring wide eyed in admiration was to be nobody left there because she's been talking for <laughs> yeah. 10 minutes. And they all left. OK, I'm glad I, I was kind of um, worried you're going to be like, no, I really like this intro because uh, I thought it was pretty It was almost kind of. Yeah, so, yeah. So Gwen is introduced here and she's very punk rock. She's very she's different. Right. So like. This is one of the bigger, and we're starting to see it now in the third volume of Breichel's Ultimate Spider-Man, where he's getting further away from 
the traditional kind of that tried yeah. and true yeah, yeah. Stan Lee, Steve Ditko legacy, yep. and more like okay, let's adapt for the era. Gwen's definitely one of the clearest indicators. Yeah, it's of good. This, it's a good. Where it's a good. Twist. She's punk rock. She put. She pulls a knife on Kong at one she point. Does yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, <laughs> I just I just want to point out like how funny I thought her like philosophy of like everybody just do the best you're at, and that's how we'll protect ourselves from the superheroes, which is like you know if you're good at playing recorder. You know, just play the recorder, play the hell out of that recorder, and that's how you're going to stay valuable <laughs> in this new, like, post-human world. Like, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So, the the thing with Kong, it happens because I loved this scene. Kong is just sitting at home, like, reading a Maxim magazine, <laughs> which also very dates this that like teenagers should be sitting around reading Maxim, are arguably reading the articles. Yeah, as sure. Well. And he just is like thinking about spider-man and you just see this like procession of thoughts where he just puts together all the weird moments of peter parker like you know dunk all of a sudden being able to dunk the basketball and watching him being bit by the spider and breaking his desk in half and doing a backflip over Kong, uh-huh. like all these moments and he's just like <gasps> peter parker spider-man it's a it's a yeah. great moment and also like it's a fun acknowledgement of just like yeah like peter parker's not that careful about this and like it makes sense that some people would just uh piece it together right like and so to test it out he decides to like peter parker is like leaning over and decides to give peter parker a swift kick in the behind and peter parker yeah. like after after telling flash and flash classically just being like no chance right, yeah. no yeah, yeah. chance that dork peter parker is spider-man and then the way they test it is for kong to go kick him into his locker peter is senses it coming obviously but is like all right i've got to keep up uh, you know appearances here of not giving away my secret identity even though he's you know he's told mj at this point mm-hmm. but um so he lets kong kick him and then gwen comes pulls out a switchblade and like <laughs> pulls out a switchblade like she's in the middle of a prison fight and threatens Kong with it. She gets caught. She gets in trouble. And we get introduced to Captain Stacy, police chief, and her dad. Um, so we get the Stacys really in full here. And I, Gwen's always kind of like, it's kind of a weird shift, you know, from the Gwen that we know from Earth 616. There's very little teases here. Uh, like MJ at one point asks Peter, like, hey, do you like that Gwen girl? And Peter's kind of just like, yeah, she's cool. Like, they don't. They don't dive into sort of the romance intrigue, but obviously just knowing anything about Gwen, you kind of know that's potential here. Um, but she's she's just very different, and I kind of like her her spunky, like she's a fighter, she's not going to put up with BS, and she won't stand to see bullies. Um, and I like her relationship with her dad, Captain Stacy, who's just like, like Gwen, I'm doing the best I can. Please stop pulling knives at school. <laughs> yes, like, right, right. She, this is all I'm. Yeah, asking I like her. Um, I kind of, I kind of like the dynamic. You know, you've got like Mary Jane, the like very sweet girl next door, and Gwen Stacy's kind of like the bad girl with the dangerous edge. Um, yeah. Right. Instead of like, they're pretty similar in the mainline Marvel universe at that time, right? Like, Ma- they're very. Mary similar, Jane is right. a little bit more manic, like go go you know like hyper dance girl <laughs> but um yeah yeah uh so what else happens here um we get into well so we have craven the hunter debuts <laughs> yeah. and he debuts as a reality tv star so he's like he's kind of like um oh geez what's the what's the crocodile hunter steve Irwin yes yeah, kind of yeah. character um you know he's he's and this is this is where we get into, you know, a few more changes as well, definitely, where Craven he announces he's going to come hunt Spider-Man, uh, which, but obviously it's like this is at a, as a part of a publicity sort of TV marketing mm-hmm, stunt. Right. And, um, and he shows up, and he's kind of, I don't know, like, it's obvious he takes the hunt more seriously than everyone Including around him. Including his, like, TV but I do producers, think when you, yeah. 
Yeah, I do think putting him in this context, you definitely you lose a lot of the energy of Craven, mm-hmm. I think, in a lot of ways, where he is just like I don't know, in the in the mainline universe, like he's this real threat, whereas here he just feels like kind of a joke. Kind of a cheesy well, joke. The, the you know? thing is, like, I don't think he's a joke until he is, right? So you get like three or four issues of build up where he, you know, he's on TV and he's just like, I'm gonna hunt Spider Man and I'm going to kill him, the most dangerous pl- prey. Which is like immediately like I mean, even Spider-Man's a, a human, like, you can't just kill him, right? Like... Weird thing to declare, right? Right. Like, I'm going to find him and I'm going like, to... I'm going to go, I'm going to go kill him. I'm going to kill a boy. <laughs> Everybody's right. like, yeah, great TV. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, this is appointment TV, right? And it's like, I mean, if you do, you it's manslaughter at least, right? I mean, it's probably actually like murder one because you are absolutely premeditating this. So... I clearly have declared your intent, right. yeah. So that, that seems um, silly. Right. And then... I mean, this all pays off to eventually Craven confronts him and Spider-Man easily and handily just like dodges him and then knocks him out with one punch. So it's yeah. kind of a joke, one right? Punch it's, it's been this like big build up to Craven, and then he just gets knocked out and clearly like he's just a guy who doesn't have the ability to stand up against Spider-Man. I think this would have worked better either if all that build up was wiped out and it was like an issue of build up instead of like four, mm-hmm. because at that point it felt like you've been building up this so much for kind of a small joke, right? Like it felt like sweeping all this build up under the table for something inconsequential or make the payoff yeah. better because the payoff just kind of landed like a thud like, "Oh, okay. God, Craven can't fight." Right? Like, okay. I, I yeah, I mean, even even Doc Ock, who is the more the more gets more focus mm-hmm. as a threat here, yeah. he's seeking revenge on um kind of Norman Osborn, but also uh Justin Hammer yeah. who's introduced Weird. here as someone who Weird is experimenting on like weaponized villainous humans essentially mm-hmm. you know like we get some glimpses of him uh developing Electro and developing Sandman and kind of like kind of these failed processes um you know like Justin Hammer is kind of the perpetual I guess here he's used as like a very southern um industrialist mm-hmm. like he's clearly extremely wealthy but he's also got these nefarious undergoings and justin hammer is just he's always just bad at what he does you know like he's super rich and he's got all this power but like even in the marvel earth 616 he's just he just always kind of fails pretty pretty spectacularly and the same thing's kind of happening here but anyway long story short even doc ox build up like these stories are more about like developing gwen the high school scene mm-hmm. the conversations yeah. they're having kong thinking peter parker spider-man Peter Parker and MJ, um, you know, know it like MJ knowing his secret and how they work together, him sewing her clothes, Aunt May getting furious at Peter Parker for being gone all the that, time. And that, scene, getting that scene was good. To his secret. I think that scene really worked for yeah. me um, because yeah. it felt like genuine, like, yeah, of course, like Aunt May. I mean, this version of Aunt May, who is not completely checked out from reality, would just be like, yeah, oh, uh, Peter Parker's missing. My nephew is missing. He's, he's not home. It's 2 a.m. I'm going to call yeah. around. I'm going to call his job. I'm going to call his girlfriend. And when he shows up and he's just lying to me, I'm just going to, like, get angry and I'm going to ground him because he's lying to me. I'm hurt because I'm trying to protect him from the world, you know. Um, and she calls him on lie after lie after lie. I know. Lie, that, I mean, that's that know, scene, because... like, is kind of wrenching, right? Like, as you see him dig himself yeah. into further, in further, like, both for Peter Parker, like, getting in trouble, but also, like, Aunt May just getting hurt because he just keeps, like lying to her over and over and she keeps catching him um yeah i think that right. seems really effective. right totally yeah, yeah. And, and obviously like we know she just lost her husband we know she's trying to raise this um this kid who is her nephew essentially like there's a lot of oh not essentially we don't get a ton of focus Actually. on aunt may right right yeah <laughs> um 
There's, I mean, like, there's like a, you are essentially a, my Queen nephew, has conversations. but not actually. Peter Parker is actually her nephew, <laughs> not essentially. <laughs> that's that's that, how I uh, view this relationship. There. It's an uncle, uncle-nephew relationship. Very, very uncle-nephew. Yeah, 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 I, I think, think everyone says that. Say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, you're kind of the Uncle Scrooge, never having fun, always just, you know, being a crank, and I'm like the fun Huey Dewey Louie nephews, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think we, we could all agree. Um, okay, so what else happens here? Doc Ock... Um, I, again, it's it's a very first time Spider-Man and Doc Ock fight kind of uh, battle where it's like it's just I don't know it's not like super special. Um, I like Doc Ock. Spider-Man I like the way Doc Ock is drawn. Um, again, like Mark Bagley's art when he's not drawing human faces, <laughs> I generally like. Like I like his action. Yeah. Uh, I really like the way that the um, the tentacles on Doc Ock look. They've got this like mm-hmm. kind of fluid metal thing at the end, and they can morph into different shapes and different like weapons on the end i think all that works he looks kind of cool and threatening his character is kind of like i never understand i never understand and neither does he why he's chasing after justin hammer he has like amnesia and he's attacking justin hammer but he's not sure why he just knows that justin hammer was involved somehow in his accident and it is like as unsatisfying to me as it is to justin hammer to know (laughs) like to understand why dr (laughs) octopus is chasing him yeah and yeah, it never gets bit. really resolved. Um, it's other just than, you know, of... we know he's working on these experiments. No, it, it doesn't really here. The other piece that gets added here is we get uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. agents are seeking Dr. Octopus kind of at the same time as, like, Captain Stacy, for example. And we get um, Agent Carter. This is Agent Sharon Carter, obviously a player in mainline Marvel Universe. And it kind of continues this trend of, like, more heavily integrating S.H.I.E.L.D. into the Ultimate Universe than, than we tend to see in 616 where heroes and villains get to kind of run around as more of the unchecked vigilantes even though obviously we have nick fury in that world mm-hmm. whereas in the ultimate universe there's just a shield's just a much bigger part of this yeah and there's just a lot more oversight you know yeah. which i think feels it, it feels definitely like a a clear modernization yeah. where these things could not happen in a vacuum because we have the technology we have satellites and we have governments, you know all right? your, you know, <laughs> like, your communications tapped yeah. and we have governments and it's just like and they wouldn't it just... would be much harder to operate on this scale and not be watched exactly in some capacity yeah. yeah yeah that's true like shield just feels you know like involved with all of this throughout the entire yeah you know ultimate universe yeah um yeah that's uh that's kind of all i've got to say about spider-man i was a little underwhelmed by this it was generally fine like as as always bendis and bagley stuff just reads nice and smooth but i mm-hmm. also wasn't like the most blown away by the new ideas or anything i was just kind of like yeah this is fine this is like, like you said i it's not quite comfort food for me like as it is for you but mm-hmm. i can see it operating on that level i'm just like yeah this is a totally fine easygoing spider-man stories yeah and you raised the the point on the q a the patreon special q a we did about um you know, like, what are the, like, when are they going to hit a classic story or something where you'd look at and say, like, oh, like, this is this is the good ultimate Spider-Man. Um, and that's actually a really interesting question to continue, because it's definitely not this, right? This is just, like, meat and potatoes. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting to me to consider what are the iconic stories here that they nail? Because so much of it still with the Brickle Bagley run is, like, how do we retell Spidey? Like, they're more retelling than they're telling something new, yes, I yeah. think, still, yeah. in a lot of ways, right? And it's that's one of the things about the Ultimate Universe that it's easy to overlook when you've already read it, maybe. Um, but it's like, they're, they're just bringing the Marvel Universe into this world. So, so many of the stories, in these early days especially, are like, 
oh, we get to see Dr. Octopus now. Oh, we get to see Gwen Stacy now, right? Mm-hmm. It's right. it's just like, oh, when are these characters going to show up? Yeah. And at a certain point, that becomes kind of insufficient, mm-hmm. I guess, yeah. um, because you have to. But like, and and that's what they're doing with the school, I think, and with the the world and the character building is like we have to have something else to ground this in, because at a certain point, we're going to run out of just like introductions to do. Yeah, that's a good know? point. Because I mean, I've read. Um... I think I've read like a hundred issues of this. I read I read quite far into this series back when. No one like arc stands out to me. Like it all just kind of flows together. It's like, yeah, this is all um, you know, good solid B plus Spidey work, I'd say. Run well, about and there. I, yeah, right. I do think of it as as really one giant extended story yeah. because it's the same creator spread across it. I can think of like I can think of one big storyline that's very interesting, and I can think of a single issue that's very interesting. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't function the way that like Spidey mainline typically does, where you'd be like, "Oh, Craven's last hunt," that's where it stands out, mm-hmm. or "Oh, these two issues, yeah. nothing stops the Juggernaut," that's where it stands out, because it really is just about building the world in this template in this. Style. Well, it was like um, it's kind of a different what, goal. Eight, ten years of these two doing this this comic together. I mean, that's that's unusual. And that, how long does it go? I mean, it they, goes they, till at least 2011. I mean, they go over a hundred issues, the two of them, which is just wild. I mean, it's very mm-hmm. impressive. But yeah, oh yeah, it's, it's I'm sure we'll we'll incredible. We'll run. keep you know uh, hitting that note as we we read on because we're gonna we're gonna keep reading them. Um, yeah. <laughs> that sounded just like Let's completely talk exhausted. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna keep reading them. <laughs> I'm I'm that's what I'm we not do as here. tired of this we as read. maybe I sound. Like I I thought this was fine. Oh, I, I'm not tired of Ultimate Universe at all. Um. I, I, I think it's a nice change of pace from the My Marvel this year uh, regular club we do. So Ultimate X-Men is next, number 15 to number 20. Here we have Mark Miller and Andy Kubert are back again for another storyline. And this one bounces around a bit. Uh, it is technically the continuation of a story arc called World Tour, which kind of took a, a Chuck Austin-written gambit break that we talked about uh, in, Mar- in Ultimate Year Part 3. But these issues look at... Um, a few big threads. One, it, it really they're more focused on Professor X, I think, than than the stuff we've gotten previously. Um, we get a look at sort of how he's thinking about the school. We see him writing letters to his students, for example, Scott Summers. Um, we see the the work he's doing with Magneto, which I think maybe we had just seen teased previously. Yeah, I mean, we, we knew that he was we alive. See that it. he yeah. has, we knew he's alive. And Professor X shows Colossus at one point takes him to a park and he's like hey you recognize anybody here and colossus looks around he's like no no wait what that's that's magneto what are you doing and professor x has put locks in magneto's brain Mm -hmm. so that he doesn't remember who he is he doesn't remember his mutant powers but he is uh still a very functioning just like thinks he's human eric lencher and professor x is essentially running an experiment with the greatest terrorist threat villain in um in the world to see, like, can he be reformed, essentially. And Professor X is like, oh, maybe one day I'll, you know, I'll take off the mutant blocks once he's, you know, once I've fully reformed him as a as a person. Right. Um, and it's clearly just this, like, I, throughout this whole thing, there's a huge, like, wow, Professor X is the ultimate version of him is so compromised, is yeah. so, he makes such, like, I, arrogant decisions. Yeah, um, I like it. I'm, which is not. I'm, I'm on board with like. Yeah, it right it's not like get-go. out of character yeah. per se. But, but they like right? establish. Yeah, it's right not like it's this beginning. enormous yeah. shift. But it's but it's very clear. And you're right. Yes, they establish it right away. 
Um, because the other thing that comes up in these in these pages is Professor X has a kid, and um, he his kid. Let's, let's not jump here to, is named to that yet because I want to talk about that first issue we read, number fifteen, which is about like okay. Magneto's. It, it's a weird issue, and there's a ton going on here, which is like. It's all framed yeah. around him writing this essay for a magazine about like mutants and his weird little like yes. word pro- like it's framed. You see these word processor uh, bubbles off to the the side where he's typing in these like the left rail of the comic, right? right? Yeah, and then the, and the it's images it's, are on it's the right. a terrible essay. Like at the end, they talk about how like <laughs> it doesn't get uh, the magazine decided to not print the the article because like oh it was too pro mutant and it's like no it's because it was a really bad like middle school essay like he literally starts out with uh, being like webster's dictionary defines mutant as it's just like uh, that whole like webster's dictionary defines civil as having to do with the citizenry uh and that was true of the um, civil war the editor's notes (laughs) on that essay would have been hilarious that would have been amazing yeah like as some as some bonus content for the issue yeah just but but go on it's not a fantastic essay it does do a nice job at framing professor x bouncing to every student and kind of their journey yeah it's a fun like Um, here's a little peek at everybody narrative device here's some fun little like details about every character like and something we haven't seen in either the main line or really this the ultimate universe so far i think maybe a little bit in the avengers in the the late 70s or 80s but this is kind of like let's just take a breath Let's see where everybody is after this big traumatic event. Let's like, you know, yeah. get our grounding again. Which just... I which I didn't mind because we're taking a month between these. Like it's, I actually think it's kind of Yeah, helpful. and it, you know, it establishes like Professor X has Magneto brain blocked. Um, you know, like the, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and the X-Men are kind of negotiating. Like Professor X is trying to get them to like achieve their goals non-violently. And they have this fun thing where they get to like, they, they have neutral grounds like art galleries and museums so quicksilver and scarlet witch actually meet professor x like at an art museum and push him around in a wheelchair and they have these kind of chats and discussions about uh you know what is effective um and what goals they share and And they and scarlet witch has this moment of quicksilver and her kind of they kind of come around to some of what professor x is saying and she says like wait you're not you're not um you know manipulating our minds right now are mm-hmm, you right and professor x is like no i would never in the sacred ground but the thing that i think miller and kubert have done so well is as a reader i genuinely don't yeah know. like yeah. i i'm more inclined they, to think he probably is thread, because that's the way this character is they behaved. thread that paranoia that everybody has about that on either side really well through all of this because like later all the x-men have this thing of like wait why are we so hardcore like why why am i so gung-ho about this mission like, why am I such, like, I'm so all in on being an X-Men, but, like, why is that so? Is it Professor X is manipulating our minds? And then I think Bobby Drake's like, well, if that was the case, why am I so scared of, like, going on this mission? And, like, Beast or someone's like, well, maybe Professor X put that in your mind so that you would not suspect that you are being manipulated. You know, like, maybe he's playing 4D chess, and you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it just yeah. throws this thing where, like, no one can be sure he's not messing with their mind, including like Beast kind of breaks up with Storm because he's convinced that the only reason she would be dating him is because Professor X is manipulating her mind uh, in order to keep Beast on the team. And it's like, yeah. probably not. He's, he's probably not manipulating her mind. But also, I get that. I get as a teenage boy, like having that kind of like insecurity that you would, you know, believe this kind of wild but maybe plausible thing. Beast is also getting catfished by Blob. It's I <laughs> so, love so that's happening. I in love the that. That's so good. I mean, it's good, but it's also just like 
Oh yeah, Ca- Blob, who just ate a couple people. He's uh, he also likes to just hang out and catfish bees. Yeah, I I think that's funny. I think the like that there's these friendships blooming between the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and the X Men. Like they're not these mortal enemies, right? Like, the, what's the other one? Toad and Cyclops toad spend and Cyclops, like hours maybe? at night yeah. talking about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of cool, yeah. actually. It's kind of this thing where, like, the Brotherhood aren't... They aren't just this stock-and-trade bad guys, yeah. right? They're, like... There's actually a mutant um, relationship. Yeah, and, like, like Cyclops already met them, world. right? Like, Cyclops went over to their side. He knows them all pretty intimately. Yeah, he spent time So, there. like, right. he could be totally. friends with them, but just kind of disagree with, like... He thinks they're a little extreme, but he kind of understands they're all on the same general side. Um, there's a weird detail here where Professor X talks about, like... Unfortunately, there are some mutants who aren't doing much to help our cause, like Spike Lee making a Magneto biopic. Just yeah. very strange, like a weird, weird detail there. Like I, oh, I don't, I don't think that's strange at all. Because didn't he, didn't he make uh, Malcolm yeah, X? That's true. I mean, so that's but, tapping into the the long, and I would say misguided yes, analogy okay, of good. Professor X as MLK Jr. and and Magneto as Malcolm I'm glad. X. I mean, I think that's I'm glad you and I are on the same thing. page that that is a like really bad oversimplification of things and also kind of a you know it comes it's come up a lot but i think if you dig into it it doesn't yeah yeah but also he's saying it as if it's like harmful to the mutant cause which is a bummer um yeah yeah there's a lot of little details here i like um yeah i guess we can get into the the main arc that we read here in the middle here is like you said we go to muir island um moira has moir moir island Moira. Oh, Moira. Moira. Charles, you're the only friend I've ever oh, that's had. That's pretty good. Good accent. Yeah. That's right. um, Mark, Mark Millar, series, who baby. is uh, Scottish, I think is loving like having an excuse to write in Scottish dialect. Right? Like, yeah. it's, we, got, we got a wee bit of a problem here, yeah, Charles. Right. Our son, he's got Especially his son, who uses like a lot of slang. I think he, uh, he really likes that. Yeah. Um, oh, and, you know what? Like, I was just thinking, Mark Millar... It, <sighs> I keep getting this. We'll talk about this a lot. Like his politics are so baffling to me, you know, because he just like, he seems so childish. You love talking creators. politics. I mean, Millar is like, uh, I mean, Millar puts it in his comics a lot. Like me me trying to dissect Bendis through it is maybe a little bit of a stretch. Millar, it's all over the place, you know, like, but he has such confusing politics in that way. That's like, um, it's like Kanye West. I don't do think remember? he's just. I don't think any of these creators are writing their political manifestos. I think they're writing different characters differently. Uh, you know what uh, I mean? To a degree, but you can you can kind of like see similarities in like the the angle that they're looking at, right? Like like the lens that they see the world in. You know, I, I mean, he reminds me like his political angle here reminds me a lot of um, Kanye West when he like when he was on Twitter and he followed two people and it was like Emma Gonzalez and Candace Owens and he's just like. I love both their brains. Like, they both got great things to say, and they're both fighting against the status quo. And it's like, you cannot like both of them. I'm sorry. Like, they are <laughs> absolutely diametrically opposed. And if you think both of them are, like, worthwhile voices, you have no actual opinion, and you're just kind of... It, it, he just has that, like, vague anger at the status quo without any, like, particular, um, like, founding or ideology behind it. I, I see that, like, in a lot of his work. Um, and I think this and the ultimates, we're going to see a ton of that. Do you, do you have anything specific here? I mean, the Spike Lee thing, the Spike Lee jab, um, I think like that doesn't read as a thing that professor X would say. Do you think professor X would be like Spike Lee is harmful to, you know, like, I think he would say a Magneto movie that might celebrate Magneto is harmful. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But like, isn't packed into that a Malcolm X movie 
uh, is harmful to like you know the black cause because it's too extreme. I think like that feels like a pretty yeah. Easy I guess that's an extension of it potentially, um, right? But it, that's also that's not. I, I mean, yeah, potentially. I guess that if you make the equivalence, yeah, yeah, of yeah. And Malcolm X. I don't know. I, I mean, he's a he's just a guy who's like very provocative. I think you know, and it feels like he likes to be politically provocative as well. Like there's lots of little his. I mean, his shtick definitely for a an extended period of time, and we're gonna talk about this in depth with Ultimates is is provocation, right? Like he's he's exploding status quo. I think. I mean, he. There are definitely things here where you can. You can dissect the political implications, but I don't think Miller's coming out and really declaring too strongly one way or the other any particular view set or set of beliefs. Um, but yeah, like X-Men especially, I mean, I don't... No, I don't think it's as much an X-Men super as it strong is Ultimates. ...stances yeah. here. Um, I mean, and, and one thing he's done, I think, somewhat interestingly throughout X-Men to this point is looking at, okay, Magneto's the bad guy, and he's trying to kill lots of people and hold the the US president, you know, hostage on the White House lawn, but he's also then got the X-Men sort of, okay, you you took out one of our own and look what happens now, we get tortured in a Weapon X facility. And kind of the 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 feeling of like this happened because you turned against our own and just like the complications and the the like the difficulty of being hated and feared, I guess, and fighting that prejudice. Mm-hmm. Um I think it it captures at a minimum the fact that it is just like endlessly challenging and that there's no one right way to necessarily overcome it, even if it fits the stock and trade super heroic behavior, which is, quote unquote, stopping the bad guy. Yeah, and I like that he kind of does this twist of like Magneto might be on his surface more violent and radical in his means, but like you can kind of respect him more because at least he like says what he means and he's like... Not mm-hmm. playing all these like games behind the scenes and manipulating things quietly behind the scenes. Like Charles Xavier is just hiding so much and is a hypocrite in so many ways. And like Magneto's not that, right? Like Magneto says what he means and, you know, has a clear ideology and stands by it. And Professor X is not that. And Professor X also is just like very unlikable through all this, right? Like he's personally kind of a, a nasty dude, whereas Magneto doesn't come across quite that way. No, and so that's where the storyline yep. goes, essentially, too, is adding to Charlie's unlikability is sort of the revelation that he has a son. He's borderline abandoned. He's she's, he's in the care of Myra McTaggart on Muir Island. Um, this is Proteus. Like, so they're doing the adaptation of a Proteus storyline here. Mm-hmm. They call him um, David McTaggart is yeah, what he goes by so, here. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a mix of, of David Haller and Kevin McTaggart which would be like Legion and Proteus in 616. But um, but anyway, like, I mean, so now it's like, you know, Professor X is, he's a bad ex-husband. He's a bad ex-dad. <laughs> you, yep. don't, you don't get to be an ex-dad. He feels like he's chosen to be an ex-dad, um, which automatically qualifies you as a bad dad. And uh, and he's manipulating people left and right in his own X-Men sphere. I, I do think the Proteus storyline is very skippable to me. I actually think Miller and Kubert, I like them when they're not adapting X-Men storylines. Like I whereas Spider-Man is clearly like more in the adapting adapting what works space. I actually like Ultimate X-Men in the we're gonna mash and mingle um the legacy yeah. of X-Men yeah, yeah. together. Whereas Proteus is like, hey, we're gonna do a classic X-Men story. And I kinda having just read it too, mm, and it's yeah. so good. Um the Claremont and Burn stuff is so yeah. good, like building the Dark Phoenix. 
it's I just don't it doesn't add anything to me. It doesn't add interesting ideas. I mean, what? No, what I think, think I agree. Like, I, I, don't, I didn't mind this. I read it and it was fine. But yes, I think you're right. Especially if you have read the old one. If you haven't read the old one, then it's a little different. Right? Like when I first read this, I liked it a lot more because it was that much more fresh. Um, yeah. But yes, it does not feel that additive. Although, like, what is going on with the look of this guy once he like takes over betty braddock's body he like turns himself into this weird pinhead oh and the the artwork for a couple issues gets taken over by chris bacallo i think bacallo um yeah which you know what like you know what's super helpful is that the same inker sticks around and it feels like you can tell that it's a new artist but the inking stays consistent and that's like it's such a great Mm -hmm. tact because it doesn't feel that jarring that right in the middle of the story you get a new artist even though his style is pretty different um Oh, yeah. although I just want to point out, there's uh, the first time they confront Kevin at like Burger King or something. There's an entire page. David, David yes, you're right. There's an entire page where they just forget that Beast is blue now. Did you notice that? <laughs> yeah, no. he's just back to like, you know, flesh tone Beast with his little yeah. goatee for like, there's two different shots of him and he just looks normal. <laughs> they just forgot that he's yeah. a, a blue monster now. You can uh, no prize that with the uh, the Nightcrawler yeah, image, yeah. Uh, whatever, Transformer. Um, yeah, you did also mention too. So we introduced uh, Betsy Braddock here as a what is she a British agent of Strike? Yeah, which I yeah, believe. Yeah, which I don't. I mean, I guess that's going to come up later. I don't know what Strike is, but it's British Shield, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's basically all we yeah. get out of that. Yeah, here. um, Betty. I don't really also have any context for Betty Braddock from the like the mainline universe. So she uh, she registered as like oh she's another psychic who goes on a date with her father. <laughs> like she <laughs> they, David takes over her body and then goes on a date. And I like the detail of just like, no, the reason I knew it was you is because you ordered three helpings of French fries and we're looking at butts. <laughs> just like, yeah, seems that always, I, I always get that too. You know, that gives me away every time. That's kind of my restaurant thing. Yeah. I, I don't know what she adds. Cause she also dies at the end of this, right? Like Colossus crushes her with a car while David is in her body. Um, yeah, this is one of those super weird Ultimate Universe things where Let's it's kill like, off a big character. There's a, there's a freedom of bringing in characters and and sort of a a freedom of like we don't know how long this is gonna go, so maybe we can move at a crazy rapid rate. But it's just like okay, we just threw away Betsy Braddock, um, you know, long time, uh, you know, X Men ally and Psylocke in the Marvel Universe, mm-hmm. and it's just like what a waste, right? Like just you you, you hardly got anything, and then nothing. So. Also, the, it's there's the decision. detail that, like, while Professor Xavier and uh, and her, but with Kevin inside her, are on this date, Professor Xavier is talking about, like, you know, his regrets and, like, abandoning his son. But he's like, but don't get me wrong, I do love my son, but the same way that I would love a dog, like a pet. I love him. <laughs> and it's like, at that point, <laughs> Professor X knows that it's his son and is just saying this to him. Like, I don't yeah. understand. I mean, like, Professor X comes across as, like, cold and callous and, like... He doesn't cry at his son's funeral. He talks about, like, when he's comforting Moira and she's crying on his shoulder. Uh, he's just mostly worried about, like, her mascara leaking onto his shirt, right? Yeah, that, so that comes in Ultimate X-Men number 20, the last issue we read here, which actually I think is pretty good too, yeah. because it's it's a Professor X note that he's writing that is, um, it's like a Death of the X-Men yeah. note. He's basically saying, like, my dream is dead. I can't go on. Here's why. And all those details you just said are actually really nice touches of at least some self-awareness that he's displaying towards like he's like i am an in i am like an unfeeling he doesn't call himself a monster but he's like, that's so the vibe he's, he's so like here, intellectual right? about all this and like a 
it, all these are just like grand lofty philosophical ideas that he has kind of like lost his grounding in humanity right like he's kind of forgotten yeah. on a personal yeah. level what's at stake uh because like you know his son talks about like when he was with him as a child professor x was actually having psychic conversations with magneto for hours at a time and was absent right like they would spend 36 mm. hours on the phone discussing the future of mutant kind right so like he's more interested in kind of having this like this academic distance um to this than yeah. being you know present as a as a human being um, totally totally yeah, so i really like the ending of this issue which is professor x is you know totally ready to give up on the x-men and call it yep. quits and he goes to visit magneto one last time and um, he finds out over the course of a kind of a spirited debate with the the new Eric Lencher that Magneto of his own free will, quote unquote, uh, bought tickets to go see Professor X's speech on mutant rights that he had been planning to give at Madison Square Garden, which uh, peak peak sales power for speeches mm-hmm. for uh, forty nine dollars a ticket. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, rolling in that speech dough. But this this gesture, essentially, this revelation of like, oh, maybe Mag- Magneto's experiment is working, um, it kind of like brings Professor X back to the X-Men. And does he, at this point, resolve to free Magneto? No, no, no. To he say, just says he's going to bring the X-Men back together. Like, he won't, or he won't, yeah. you know, he's not going to disband them. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I thought that, like, emotionally worked as a payoff and, you know, like, functioned... <clears throat> as showing that, like, I don't know, like, Magneto might be reformed here. But, you know, let, let's see mm-hmm. once we get the brain locks off how he feels. Uh, there's two other details yeah. I want to bring up just, like... Because if there's something that Mark Millar, I think, is good at, it is, like, f- making the world feel lived in. But almost to a fault, he does this, right? Like, he loves to just throw out these little tiny details that are like these big revelations that in another comic would be like big focal points, but he throws them out as just asides, you know, blob eats mm-hmm. people, Magneto eats people. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that. I think that generally works, but then once in a while just feels silly, right? Because it's just like, he's playing so fast and loose with stuff. There's a few details I like. Uh-huh. Um, there's a splinter group of the brotherhood of evil mutants that like left the brotherhood because they're not extreme enough. Which I liked the acolytes. The acolytes yeah. yeah, are they uh, are they like a mainline Marvel thing? Yeah, and they and they're like you know followers of Magneto's mm, vision. Okay, so like that all that influence very yeah, much. I like that. I thought that was fun. And then also, um, Professor X talks. There's a lot of talk here about who is funding all this. Like who's funding his research? Who's mm-hmm. funding the schools? Like he has a you know he has the X Jet or the the Blackbird. So it's called Blackwing. Whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, he has all this stuff and he's like, oh, I have an inheritance from my parents. That's how I fund all this. And, and there's all this like winking that like he has secret backers, which is interesting and will come up later. Uh, I like, I like that stuff. So yeah, I, I liked the beginning and the end of this run, like 15 and 20 a lot. And then the in between was okay. Yeah. Right. Right. I would agree. Yeah. I think, right. No, I would agree. All right. Let's get into the final story we read. And obviously the, the biggest addition to the ultimate universe uh, Ultimates. So this is a Mark Miller and Brian Hitch production. Andrew and Andrew Curry is, on inks too. I want to point out because the inking is really you. good here. That's important. Yeah, and, and let's let's start with Hitch. Um, Brian Hitch is an artist that made his name probably kind of like actually weirdly both Miller and Hitch kind of escalate to a degree of superstardom that gets them this title on a title called The Authority, which was in what is now DC Comics Wildstorm universe mm-hmm. and it's a um it's a sort of 
alternate, you look at a mega super team, think Justice League, um, coming together and stopping the, the biggest threats in the world. But it's like, it's a very clear turning point for what superhero comics would become in the 21st century. And the first 12 issues of that are by Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch. And Hitch's style is incredibly detailed and incredibly cinematic. Yeah. Uh, he's fantastic at using these giant, like, captivating shots that just look like posters. He's very good at using light in his images. Like, you get a lot of shots where it's, like, these iconic poses, but then, like, the sun's just at this angle where it's kind of creating this, you know, I don't know if lens flare would be the term now, um, but just this this image of, like, oh, that's an iconic you know, superhero pose or whatever it is, or oh, that's a vision of World War II, but from the top, and just like you can see all. But of without it. And like, it's sometimes that can feel. Um, I don't know what the word is. Not contrived, but like you get those superhero, you know, like hero shots sometimes, and you're mm-hmm. just like, oh, why are they all posed like that at the the last panel of this comic, right? Like, why would everybody line up and uh, you know, like cross their arms yeah. and look, you know, into the middle distance like that? Uh, it generally doesn't do that. It does feel like big and sweeping and epic without um, without trying so hard. It doesn't feel like it's not. A, it's also not at the expense of story. Yeah, Typically. you know what? I think this you art know, it, is it, so good and so like it feels so. Um, what's the word? Like it has this grounding in like big sweeping action and like this. It, mm-hmm. it just feels serious. Like I don't know how to, else to put it. Yeah, in a way that no, the writing. Does doesn't actually support like especially this first issue i think mark millar is almost dragging it down with his like glibness right like and not in a way that i always hate like his writing for being glib but the the there's there's a slight dissonance sometimes between the uh the writing and the the artwork here i think in that regard uh well i i don't think it needs to be more serious as a story i think that would work to the ultimate's detriment um i don't Hitch definitely isn't playing things for comedy. Yeah. Um, you know, like he's not a, he doesn't have a cartoony style, no. certainly. Mm-hmm. Like Bagley comes closer to that. Like definitely if you stack Hitch against what we're seeing by Bagley, even by Cooper to a degree, um, Hitch's feels, yes, more serious, more, um, also just like more modern. It just feels yeah, fresher totally. in a yeah. way than, whereas those feel more rooted in what comics have been. This feels like what comics could yeah. be. Do, do you know Brian Hitch did a bunch of the uh, sensational She-Hulk in the 80s? I did yeah, not. Yeah, he did like quite a few not. of those issues from like 89. Like maybe, uh, it looks like 20-something issues. It's, That's it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I do find that, um, maybe we've talked about this a little, but it's like there's a lot of artists that I might be into now. Um, and then you look back at their history and you're like, oh, they've been doing this for like 30 right, years yeah, sure. and worked on some weird small Marvel title way back when. So that that's always really interesting. Yeah. Um, but definitely here, like this is his style that the, and this is kind of like the perfection mm-hmm. of it. I yeah. think I certainly I think as an artist, he you know, he just did like some really cool stuff on DC's Hawkman in 2018, 2019. So I'm sure like as an artist, he feels he's progressing. But Ultimates is definitely what people would point to in a lot of ways. Yeah. The series begins. Uh, not how I expected it to. I did not remember that the first issue was 99% mm-hmm. Captain America yeah. World War II, um, which is what it is. And actually, like, really, the the opening arc is really a Captain America story in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, I can see um, that. That in the know, Hulk. more or I less. Think. I think Bruce Banner and Captain America it becomes both. the Hulk. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, but I think, I think you're right. And the way they tie these things together is looking at the super soldier formula, that gives Captain America his powers. We get great vision of that in, you know, kind of the opening classic 
cap story of a drop on a World War II base. It's Nazi scientists who have alien technology and cap who they they discover have this alien technology to like destroy, you know, America kind of like post V day. It sounds Mm -hmm. like that. They're just going to lash out and cap stops. The rocket falls in the water. It's the classic Captain America. And then we get animation one page of present day where Iron Man's just on top of Everest. And he's just like, this invigorates me time for a board meeting issue done. It's a, it's a weird issue done. And it's not even, it's not even the, Oh, I found him. No, it's moment. a bad ending to you know, this comic. That happens later. It's a very strange, like, you know. Here's well, this... I don't know that it's bad, but it is confusing. It makes you feel like there should be another page. And there actually, something. that's a very Warren Ellis, um, maybe Hitch on Authority, but a very Warren Ellis it's written just like, here's thing, the big... where it's like the comic just kind of ends. Yeah, here's this big, as opposed to you a know, like, war scene with a definitive, like, beginning, middle, end. It ends with Cap going in the water. And then here's Iron Man uh, doing some business for one page. <laughs> Issues over. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a weird. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't even end with him talking about Iron Man. It literally just is him ending with like, "I can't wait to get back to work." Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. right. No, it's it's a strange final page. I would agree. The changes that happen uh, with Mm -hmm. Cap here, um, he's a tougher kind of uh, more of like the World War Two soldier than I think we would see him as when he is recovered in the Silver Age by Stan and Jack in Avengers number four. He is the all-American hero. And Miller's interpretation of the true all-American hero is um, a lot more conservative. Yeah. <laughs> a lot I mean, more... We're not seeing too like, much of that he's, yet. He's grittier, I yeah. think. Um, well, I, I'm saying that in the sense of, like, he's... Well, maybe that's not... Uh, not even politically so much as, like, very, you know, God apple pie and you know um whatever like in like he's using kind of like soldier slang yeah. here and yeah, there yeah. he rushes into battle yeah he doesn't he doesn't this, like this more likely and turn to into use a gun like a modern guy immediately right like he is still very much like out of place and just like nor should yeah. he yeah it's good i, yeah, I, I actually like i like that touch a lot yeah um, um yeah. so he he's recovered later but the the thread that continues is shield's efforts to mimic the super soldier formula mm-hmm. And this is what Bruce Banner, Dr. Bruce Banner, has been working on. When we meet Dr. Bruce Banner, there are references to him destroying a ton of property as the Hulk, which I think is a reference back to the Marvel team issues of him for Spider-Man. So there's kind of like this wave of destruction that he's caused. And Banner is claiming to be sort of Hulk free. The idea that like he's taken some they've got some meds and some tech now that sort of have the Hulk at bay. Uh, but obviously, he's a ticking time bomb, right? And Bruce Banner in the Ultimate Universe is just like this mewling weakling. Miller clearly has zero respect for him as as an intellect or as a character. Like he is just, um, he's just like absolutely cowardly and unlikable. You know? <sighs> yeah. And I, I think everyone it's... picks on him. Everyone bullies him. Like, but he's they, the, they do also establish um, him immediately yeah. as kind of a jerk, right? Like. He's, you know, uh, I, th- I think it's Janet Van Dyne or Janet Pym um, mentions that like, oh, you used to date Betty Ross, like, or you're dating Betty Ross or something. I used to go to college yeah. with her. I was her roommate. And he's just like, yeah, we're on a separation. She se- she read some like stupid self-help book and says I'm toxic, <laughs> you know, and she's yeah, like immediately right. is just like dismissive of Betty and just being like, yeah, she filled her head with like dumb ideas about like how nasty I am, you know, and he just comes across as like bitter and uh and kind of pathetic which cool good. well right and i don't i don't read these issues often and think like oh i feel really bad for this bruce no. uh, it doesn't engender a lot of sympathy 
important. No, no, you, you kind know, of he feel is. like he's self-destructive. I mean, for all intents and purposes, he's like kind of the villain. Yeah. Um, he's also, so he kind of, Nick Fury has a conversation with him. Nick Fury here is fully developed now as the Samuel L. Jackson style leader of mm-hmm. S.H.I.E.L.D. Obviously, that has made it now into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We kind of saw that development beginning in the pages of X-Men, you know, with Miller writing. Now he is very much the character he's going to be. He has a conversation with Banner where he tells him, hey, uh, we're going to bring in Hank Pym and uh, and Janet Pym, and they're going to take over kind of the lead on the super soldier thing. So you've also got Banner being petty and clearly jealous of his kind of second-in-command status on the super And did you mention uh, that the Hulk was actually, like, a product of him trying to do the super soldier serum and then, like, it not working, him injecting himself, and, like, the Hulk is a failed byproduct of him attempting to replicate Captain America, which I think is a pretty interesting idea. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good a good point because a big part of of the story arc is like they've been trying to replicate the super soldier serum and they've had failure after failure, including the creation of the Hulk, which is yep. you know obviously like well yeah you created a super strong thing but he's uncontrollable, so it's it's ultimately like Banner's work is is such a failure that it is now like a part. And, of I mean his you know, <laughs> you know like the super serum his work on working on the super serum is basically obviated by the fact that Captain America's dug out of the ice. Right, like he, uh, he's a little bit like without function anymore. Um, let's. Well, see, now I couldn't tell. I thought that actually sort of rejuvenates him for a moment because he's like, oh, thank goodness, we have the source material. Yeah. Um, now we can actually do this. Now we can do this right. So they, yeah, I think by issue three or four, they pull Steve out of mm-hmm. the ice really just quickly. Like it's not a big. There, you don't get the whole journey to the no, thing. It's, it's just like, hey, look what yeah, we found. Exactly, yeah. Which is um, fine. So yeah, it just kind of like happens. That, yeah. But they get Steve. You get the him waking up in a hospital room and being like, what's going on? Nick Fury's like, hey, it's, um, you know, you've been on ice oh for Oh, my God. The, the, years. The, I mean, the, the detail of, like, Captain America not buying it, right? He doesn't buy that any of this is real because... He thinks it's a Nazi... Because a he's Nazi, just like, um, there's trick. no black... There's, you know, like, you're a black man, and there's nobody of that high command who's black in the American army. So that means that this yeah. is a bad replication by the Germans. Like, a dumb, dumb detail. Um, Why did you think that was dumb? I you thought, thought that, that works? I, I guess I thought that made sense. Um, because, I mean, if, if that is true... Because it feels like... In a, the military, it, that, would be, that would be unfamiliar to him. It would be, so. but also, like, the entire setting, right? Like, he's in a hospital room full of, like, completely modern equipment, and, like his first reaction is that like that would be something the Germans would like he's quick enough witted that that feels like a, a dumb detail just to like be a little provocative because it's like he's quick witted enough to put that together but he's too dumb to think that like why would the Germans screw up that bad in their ruse <laughs> you know I, it does seem like something that would be a tremendous oversight exactly right <laughs> like if the German if this was really Nazi 1948 army. and the Germans were like trying to pull one over him why would they put a you know a bald yeah. black man uh, to pretend to be like they would know better and it it yeah it just doesn't add up and it feels mostly like he's letting something slide because he thinks that that's like funny or witty enough there's a lot of stuff like that yeah. that that feels like a little malar you know like just taking a little jab and thinking like yeah he's a little racist right which you know i don't i wouldn't call i wouldn't call that racist <laughs> i would call that just that is the that is the situation. Well, no, I, the thing is i don't from. dislike that i don't dislike that captain america would come out of the ice old-fashioned in his views of things right like i think that's 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 not an that's not an opinion that he's expressing he's not no no i know i know i get that that i I think like there's just a little dissonance between what he's doing i think it doesn't quite 
make a logical sense because of what I just said. But like, um, because I'm I'm not opposed to the idea. I don't think like the idea that Captain like because Captain America in the old comics comes out of the ice and then pretty quickly acclimates to being like as you know progressive if not more so than the people around him right like he's generally like on the spear point of progressive politics often in the like 70s and 80s right like he's defending conscientious objectors to the vietnam war stuff like that um when i mean that's a that's it you're talking about a decade after he's been out of right right yeah comics terms um whereas i think that could be interesting i just it's one of those things you should be careful about and not like do it for shock value. And I think Millar's instincts are to play it for shock a little bit more. Well, definitely, and, definitely his instincts are to play everything for shock value. I do think the interpretation of a more old fashioned Captain mm-hmm. America, I do think works, yeah. even if I don't like him as yeah. much. I, I do. And I think that's kind of the point. I, I do the point too. There is are... You don't necessarily gravitate towards this character yeah. as much, but he is from 57 years yeah. ago. And he should feel that way a little bit more, especially in the days after he's been brought out of ice. So I, I think this Captain America will be interesting to follow mm-hmm. because um, he does, you know, there are some really sort of cringy moments um, that but can, you can happen. you can use those like, to like... You know, like like your grandpa saying something, right? but, but he's Captain America. But if America. it's just played for like, yeah, this is kind of a... This is an old-fashioned racist Captain America. Then that's kind of dull. If it's like used for, that's not what he is. At I mean, all. he's a little bit like that, and it's used in. I mean, it's, some of that stuff we haven't seen yet. So, like, I'm talking ahead. Um, but like, I think you could use that for some kind of interesting discussions about like how America has progressed, right, and the ways that it hasn't. Um, I don't think sure. Miller is interested in that. I think he's just interested in kind of the like the concept of this and not really digging into it too deeply. Maybe. I mean, I, I would need more specifics about what exactly your... I mean, like... I, I don't see a like lot of those the, specifics in these six yeah, issues. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I don't think it's it's that strong. That I mean, that one moment is probably the biggest thing. It's kind of like that, uh, that strange 1950s Captain America. Do you remember, like, in mainline Captain America, there's, like, right. this storyline right. where a one a Captain America took over in the 50s after the original one went in the ice and he comes back in the 70s and he's totally out of place right like he's got the politics of the 50s this kind of like jingoism you know like white america first but that is used as a springboard to like for the original captain america to like examine himself and the ways that like he has and hasn't changed right and like his legacy i don't think that's what's happening here i think this is purely like no it's not at all but but this cap also is not uh out of place 50s. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he kind of is. He's a little bit that Captain America, right? Like he's he's he's. I think old fashioned is fair. I think if you throw racist on top of it, that's just not substantiated in. I mean, these stories. it's probably in the way that you know, like most people were a little casually racist or racially insensitive back in the. But I'm but I'm World saying that's really not explored here. Like, where is that explored? In I mean, I, I'm using the one example here, right? Of yeah, which I don't, I don't think. I don't think. That yeah. Works. Okay. I I, I, I do. Example. I think that is a very surface level observation. Is the way. Yeah. I I, yeah, I think that like that is a, a poorly thought out detail by Miller when he should be more careful about stuff like that. Miller's not. No, careful. he is not. Yeah. <laughs> he is not. I mean, this writer. sounds like I'm so, down on this. I liked this whole run. I was so actually at one point I was uh like I think on issue five here I was just like man this is good like this is just like really mm-hmm. fun I really could recommend that and then literally the next panel was Janet Van Dyne like being like oh Hulk and like pulling her top off like does Betty Ross have a nice nice of a rack as this and like 
it was literally the moment where I was just like, oh, this is pretty good. Oh, God. Okay. All right. There it is. Like, just... It, the, Mark Millard does not want me to like him or his writing. You know, it's like he, he is actively fighting against me enjoying him because I'm just like, man, you're a pretty good writer and you have some pretty good ideas. Oh, nope, there you're using like some... Nick Fury is calling someone an ableist slur, right? Like stuff like that where it's just yeah. like, you got it. You you just can't let me enjoy this without dragging me back, back down with these like bad details. I think, I think the first three or four issues are quite yeah, good. I do too. Yeah. And it's they're also like they're doing the thing that we talked about liking with X-Men mm-hmm. where like oh, you're modernizing the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Cuz let's face it, the Avengers needed modernization. Yeah, sure. Like there's, you know, there's they don't even call them the same name, <laughs> right? Like you can call them the Ultimates, you can make them a totally new thing, and at this point in 2002, there's technically there's like a really good old-fashioned classic throwback Kurt Busiek, George Perez, Avengers mm-hmm. run going on in mainline. So it's not like there. a lot of times it gets talked about like, oh, there's never been a good Avengers story until Ultimates. And it's like, that's not true. But popularity-wise, yeah. right? Like, the Avengers are are not on people's radars. Yeah. Like, that is a comic sphere-specific thing. So to take them and to popularize them, you have to do the Ultimates. Like, that is the version that they took. And you look now at all the things that get pulled from Ultimates into the Marvel Cinematic Universe into modern comic book storytelling, obviously, in a lot of ways, yeah, it worked. Yeah, totally. That said, once you get to issue five and six, you get the Miller shock value stuff where it's like, okay, but in terms of how this story is told, it is going more, it, it begins with like a how would this work and what would these characters be like approach that I think is pretty yeah. good. And then it devolves into, hey, what if Hulk uh, was like a really horny, angry rage yeah. monster, and um, and we dove into the Hank Pym, Janet Pym, uh, domestic violence. Immediately. You know what the thing is? Immediately. I don't, I don't mind. I like what he's doing on like a, the framework, right? Like, I don't mind Hulk, Hulk's anger being like Bruce Banner unleashing his id to a degree. Like Bruce Banner is this bitter, angry man, and he's just like angry at women for not finding him attractive right like women don't like him and he's mad about that and the hulk he unleashes the hulk basically to express that anger because he is it's simmering over in him i think that's fine it's it's literally just in the details that he drives me crazy right like it's the details right. of him right. talking about how he's horny and this kind of like there's this vague rapey vibe to the whole thing that like it's not vague i mean he at one point says you know you've tried banner now give hulk a oh try. yeah like, maybe it's, mis- it's pretty yeah, gross. textual um, like you said, you have Janet flashing him as the only way to distract him, which is very like you know cheesecakey kind Dumb, of like yeah. yeah, I mean it just goofball humor that goofball's the wrong word, but just that kind of like shocky humor. I mean, it's juvenile. That Miller really yeah. enjoys. And the thing is, like Janet um, has a good well, moment here. Janet's the one who takes him down by flying into his ear canal and zapping his brain. <laughs> I like that a lot. Right, that's uh, right. that's pretty neat. Well, I mean, and like Thor shows up, he doesn't you know whip his junk out to distract. <laughs> right, you know what I mean? Yeah, so it is sure. also that like it's an imbalance kind yeah. of thing. I think you're right. I think the big picture ideas, and also like, okay, you're using Hulk as the thing that brings the Ultimates together. Bruce Banner does it intentionally. He intentionally unleashes the Hulk to give because there's no supervillains, which is actually a pretty fun yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like, okay, you form this Ultimates group and you're making a big deal of it, but there's nothing to fight. We've had one supervillain in threat are in all of like, American history, and it was they're Magneto. trying to push them as like a celebrity group, which I think that actually segues. We can segue into 
their obsession with celebrity in this. There's a really crazy running thread. Well, Miller definitely has it with X-Men. I mean, yeah. but he has it here where like every single hero is bottled after a real celebrity, right? Like, um, I mean, Samuel Jackson is uh, Nick Fury. I mean, he's fan casting his own movie as he's I mean, doing Tom, this. Um, what's his name? Brad Pitt is Captain America here. Um, Matthew uh-huh. or Matt Damon is Bruce Banner, right? Matthew McConaughey's Hank Pym. Um, there's definitely, oh, when he, he goes and meets an old Bucky Barnes and it's the, uh, the old guy from Shawshank Redemption. This is a weird one. <laughs> okay. I mean, like I, I had to look okay. it up. I was like, is that the same guy? Yeah, that's definitely the same guy. Um, well, I mean, they have a whole conversation about, oh, Johnny Depp would play Tony Stark and, uh, Steve Buscemo would play Bruce Banner. I think that joke would work better if they weren't literally drawn to look like those people, <laughs> you know, like I actually, I kind of like that joke, but then it feels too re- self-referential. Like you're pointing at your own joke. Um, I mean, one thing about Miller and his, where his comics have gone is he has become exceptional at work that gets translated and adapted to film. Yeah, yeah. And now sure. he's got to deal with Netflix where he's going to get adapted to TV. Like, I don't, I don't know if this is true, but I would, I would believe that no comics creator has gone more directly from comics to yeah. film than Miller. Yeah. Like, and I mean, so the idea that he'd been thinking about that is, is pretty uh, ahead of the time. So this is, this is something I read in Marvel, the Marvel comics, the untold stories, Bill Jameis was big into this. Right, like they were talking about, yeah. like wanting to kind of like our guy, right? Our you know guy, what? Like after after Marvels, this because Marvels was my only context for the guy. He was Marvel. Marvel, yes, bring you're right. yes, I'm That's sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, you know what's interesting about reading that book is that there's all these like editor in chiefs who come in, and tons of them just have these great ideas, and then they have all this weird baggage alongside them. Yeah, there's a ton yeah. of stuff that Jim Shooter did that is great, like great work. And then there's also stuff about him that's just like he couldn't let go. That was terrible ideas. Same with Bill Jameis. The Ultimate Universe was built on the fact that Bill Jameis was like, people can't read these anymore. Like, you can't just pick it's 2002. There's the, you know, Marvel Limited doesn't exist. If you want to jump in these stories, like, new readers are lost here. And we need to give them an easier way to jump in, which is why the Ultimate Universe started. He also is the one who incorporated the fact that the first page of all the comics will have a catch-up page, right? Like... Here's the story so far on page one with the credits. Great idea. Like, instead of having this kind of shoehorned in exposition between the heroes on page one and two, like, yeah, really, really good stuff. So I think he, like, deserves a lot of credit for And the that. Ultimate Universe is is an all-time great yeah. idea. I mean, it is an all-time great yep. idea. Ultimates continues to this day to be a good story to hand to someone who doesn't know where to jump yeah. in. With I mean, them. it was my first exposure like, it is, to... That is its purpose. I think this works. was the first comic I ever read with Captain America, Iron Man... Thor, Nick Fury. Like, I didn't know who these characters were before. I mean, I knew who, like, Captain America and Iron Man were, but I'd never read a comic with them. This was the first, my first mm-hmm. exposure to them. Um, yeah, so, let's see. Thor is a, uh, like, a hippie Occupy Wall Street kind of guy. He's this, like, anti-imperialist. I I love the, the Thor yeah, interpretation. It's, it's really fun. I, I really like this use. Too. People are, like, really skeptical of the idea that he's a god. You know, he's walking around... Claiming I mean, they even god, already like pull out the facts like a of cult like, leader? oh, you are in a mental hospital. Hospital, you're a nurse who like lost his mind and have these has these delusions of grandeur, right? And like, yeah, and you somehow got a hold of some high tech, like your chest plate mm-hmm. and your hammer, and he's just like, nope, nope, I'm a god, like, but there's no real proof of it, right? <laughs> like, he doesn't. I mean, besides the fact that he's powered, right? Like, he's not zapping off to Asgard. There's proof that he is strong, because he show, he's the one who shows up kind Break, of 11th yeah, hour Hulk's during jaw, the Hulk yeah. battle. 
and beats the heck out of the yeah. Hulk. So clearly, he is an incredible asset, but there's a lot of skepticism that he's what he claims to be, an actual god. Um, you also have Iron Man here, who gets... This is where the, the Robert Downey Jr. vacation yeah. yeah, totally. of Tony Stark begins, and the template <laughs> you know, lands. He is funnier, he is more eccentric, and he is, frankly, a lot more likable and a lot more charming. He, but he's kind of than, like... Uh, um, he's like Bruce... Or, um, he's like Bruce Wayne... Right, the like the Playboy version of Bruce Wayne, except that he's not putting it on; he's just actually enjoying like. If that wasn't an act, and he was actually an alcoholic, right? An alcoholic right? who because dates like you know, model after celebrity after you know, like. But he's just genuinely enjoying that yeah, lifestyle, right? And who also you has know? a brain tumor, which is causing him to try to become more altruistic. He like wants to do some good in the world because he has an inoperable brain tumor, which is a detail I forgot about. Yeah, yeah, no, and I think that works. I think. The other characters, obviously, that are introduced here are Hank and Janet, who, you know, Hank is oddly like... Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, until he's not. Yeah. Until he's absolutely not. And he's like, he's pretty charming. He's the smart scientist. He develops the giant man formula in the pages here. Um, you know, so we see him using his acumen. But you can see he's got a huge ego, right? Like, right from the beginning. He's yes. Got big ego. And then, like... And, and re- the ego comes crashing down when... So, Hank's the first... So they, there's a great hitch image of all these planes flying in to come stop the yeah. Hulk. And one of the planes is like lifting in Hank already in his giant yeah, uniform. Yeah, so he's good. just hanging from a, a jet airliner, essentially. They drop him in. He shows up to grab the Hulk. He does so. Then Hulk beats him up, embarrasses him, destroys the building. So Hank's ego takes a shot. And Janet is ultimately the one who gets in his ear and fuzzes up, you know, the Hulk's awareness. And she's able to help. She's not doing the press circuit kind of, you know, saying like, you know, things are great. Hank's going to be okay, et cetera. Hank, though, can't let it go that he, was, he wasn't the one who saved the day, Hank right? Says, He's super Hank jealous. Hank has a weird line here where he says, like, something about her kissing Captain America and, the, like, that picture is splashed across the pages of the newspaper. And I was like, did I yeah. miss something? Like, I don't know what that was in reference to. Like, do you know what it was? It's not, it's not a big moment in these issues. Um, They, no, I don't. Yeah, I sure. don't. But he's he's got some jealousy. But he there, specifically sure, says that like they kissed and the picture is like made public, and it's like I don't know what that's in reference to. John it, did. There's no way they just kissed. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Happens. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what this is. That feels like something like he wrote in, and then it's like it got cut from the comic, but they forgot to edit that part out. Something like that. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um. So yeah, they get into this fight, right? And it turns into this like kind of nasty argument where Hank Pym reveals something wild, which is that Janet Van Dyne or Janet Pym is not, um, her wasp powers were not actually created by him. He claimed to have created them to kind of like boost his scientific, you know, like credentials, but she's actually a mutant Mm -hmm. who like lays eggs in bed and eats beetles (laughs) and lives life as a wasp, right? Like she is actually kind of like very waspy in her, uh, physiology which is right i think that's interesting i kind of like that like i like that she is a secret mutant right she's part of the like she's one of the most front-facing superheroes and uh you know i think it's more it's a more interesting take on on stories you can do with janet than um than just being like oh she also got you know the sidekick powers version of of what hank's already doing exactly it also then it it does make sense in the sense of like hank's success is partially built on sort of a cheat code that he had with with experimenting on Janet's And that DNA. feeds into his right. shame and kind of like, you know, ego, bruised ego in that she's like, she's the one who knows that he's not quite 
the genius he says he is, right? Because, like, she let him take credit for her powers when that's not really true. And she even calls out, like, yeah. oh, you need to be, like, a world-class geneticist being a, you know, computer scientist. Being the best computer scientist isn't enough. Like, you know, points out that he just absolutely has this hunger for acclaim and needs to be the yeah. best. Um, which leads into, like, she yelling at him. He lashes out and slaps her. He kind of feels, you know, I don't know, like, startles himself. And then it turns into an actual fight where he gets real nasty. Like, she fights back a little bit. But then he, like, pulls out a can of Raid <laughs> and uh, sprays her. She goes and hides. He sicks all of his ants on her, which is, like, a horrifying image, right? Like, this turns yeah. way nastier. And it's way more explicitly violent than what we just read in the mainline Marvel Universe. Yeah. Um, it also feels a little more real, right? Like Janet is not some kind of like a complete pushover, you know, like pathetic doormat the way that she's written in the main Marvel universe, which is the big thing that like stuck in our craws there, right? Like yeah. he or she is her own person and he just like can't deal with her expressing herself and he lashes out and he let turns me, into let a Let me ask bully. you this. Like, yeah. Right. It's a, it's a pretty, it's not pretty. It's a, it's a gruesome, cruel fight. Do you think it was a good idea to bring this thread through into the Ultimate Universe where you have every opportunity to begin from? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with this. Like, I think that uh, in the... I mean, basically, this sets up everybody in this universe with, I guess, the exception of Janet Pym, is unlikable in some way, right? Like, Bruce Banner's is kind of like pathetic incel uh, captain america is like pretty stuck in his ways and this like old-fashioned guy who like often won't get in line because he's you know got this like nationalistic streak iron man's this like playboy uh and now hank pym has this huge ego and is you know clearly like abusive to janet i'm kind of okay with all those factors you know like this is this is not a team of people that you look up to these are like all messy flawed people and villains at times like the hulk is kind of a straight up villain here i mean he they yeah. they, they I think spell it out clearly i just want to point out that the hulk kills a lot of people when he rampages this is not the main line hulk like he goes around and he is like trying to kill the avengers he talks about like wanting to like crack captain america's skull open and suck out the yoke you know like it gets it gets dark and nasty and he kills like dozens of people so this is you know he is clearly a villain here yeah, I definitely think a couple of the criticisms that I would voice here that I've seen probably or elsewhere on Miller. One, he does just toss out these mass murder totals um, with reckless abandon. Mm -hmm. Like if you read a lot of his work from this era, it's like just thousands on thousands. He does of that in X Men in a way in his that comics feels in a very. It, it's just like mass devastation, um, kind of like Michael Bay movie yeah. Transformer yeah, yeah. movie level thing, where it's just like, but he just. I don't know. Like, there's a weird affinity towards just like sh I guess showing like if you're gonna have these power people and you're gonna have violence in all these books, here's the repercussion of that. I think the intent is like grounded realism, mm -hmm. but it actually almost has the opposite effect where it's so like wait the Hulk just killed fifteen thousand people or whatever the number is. Oh, like, I thought it was. I like, thought it said dozens, which like read true to me. I don't. I don't remember it being some like hyperinflated number. That that's not the number I, but there's other comics where uh, that's okay, the case. Sure. Um, the other the other criticism that that's less one, but just more of a trope yeah. almost. The other criticism is is a cynicism towards superheroes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I think the Ultimates, if you want to compare and contrast the ongoing Busiak Avengers to Ultimates, there's like they're total contrasts and and 
approaches to this where one is like a case study in love of superheroes in the medium and the history. Mm -hmm. And then 2002 ultimates is definitely that, like that sort of modern post watchman lens of actually these guys all kind of suck. And here's some ways that they do. Miller comes off. He comes onto the title after a run on the authority title. I mm -hmm. mentioned earlier with uh, Frank quietly where they, the first story arc, the first four issues they do, it's literally the authority verse, the worst possible interpretation of the Avengers. It's kind of amazing he ever got the gig doing the Ultimate Avengers yeah. because he wrote the worst version of them, and they are absolute monsters. Like they kill babies for fun, kind of monsters. And that's a that is Miller going for shock value, but also you get the sense of like just this this deep seated cynicism towards um, the idea of the Avengers being like a true force for good. Now the Ultimates is nowhere near as cynical yeah. as his run on the authority or something like a Garth Ennis, the boys. Um, but definitely there's a thread of that there that will rub certain types of readers different ways. Some people would look at that and say, yeah, it feels more realistic. Like it feels more realistic that these people would all have flaws and, and these types of flaws. Um, but then there's some people who definitely would look at it and be like, this is, I don't, it's just, it's just creating these like shocky things to, to feel more modern when in reality, it's like it's still a Avengers comic. I don't. I don't know <laughs> I if like realism is a, a scale I bring into this. Um, you know, I don't like. Yeah, because that feels like equating like violence with realism, right? Like it's still superhero comics. Mm -hmm. It's still pretty like outlandish, right? Um, I mean, he is trying to. I, I guess he is trying to do something a little more grounded with like, oh yeah the idea that the hulk would rampage through the city and i mean the immortal hulk deals with this and they talk about like the immortal hulk one of those issues is the first time he killed a human and it's like really like 60 years of the hulk just knocking down cities and he's never actually killed a human being before <laughs> is like a pretty crazy idea well and, that, and that's not that's i mean that doesn't even add up continuity yeah wise, so okay. I, don't, I don't know about that um but it's I, again big picture ideas i very much question issue six throwing in the Hank and Janet domestic abuse thread um, entirely because it does, it does just feel like it's this black mark. It's kind of this stain in Avengers mm -hmm. history that it's a storyline that you could have moved on from. You didn't, that doesn't have to be the thing everyone thinks of when they think of Hank and Janet. I, that's, I, I guess part of it's just point, like, I don't, I don't, it doesn't bother. I don't know. Like, I, I think the, uh, that original storyline doesn't bother me in the same way on like a large scale as it does you, that, like, Hank Pym always has that stain on him. Like, I think that flaw in that, like, that he is a, you know, like, an abusive man, and, like, or can be in that situation, um, I think that's okay. Like, that, that doesn't bother me, especially since it's Hank Pym and not, like, Captain America, right? You know, yeah. it's not Peter Parker, right? You know, that's something we're going to talk about. Um, stuff yeah, like that, yeah. you know? Like, it doesn't didn't feel out of character, and it doesn't feel like... Oh, I'll never be able to like Ant Man again because it's also like, well, like, like no, it's not. It's not even that so much as like you have six issues yeah. here, and you have the entire Marvel universe at your disposal, yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And you want to come back to Avengers number two hundred and thirty. Yeah, I, I can see that as a that's criticism. That's what you want to adapt. Like, yeah, I, I I can see that where it's just like, why are you focusing on that? Why you're pulling it forward? I guess. Um, I mean, it, it's tough for me to pull that away from like this is the first time I ever read that story, right? Like this is the first hank and janet story i ever read i didn't know who they were before this and i mean i definitely remember thinking because i i would have read this ultimates before i read the the hank yeah, hits yeah, yeah. issue in in the old avengers and i remember being quite shocked 
and being yeah. really creeped out by that image of the ants swarming over over Janet. And I think that's the intent. Yeah, no, totally. Um, but it's also like, but what? But what? You know, maybe we'll talk about this in the second arc. But it's like, what did this add? To, I mean, it, to it adds ultimate. the fact that, like, they can barely cohere as a unit, right? Like, just getting them together is not as easy as just being like, we're five heroes and we all align in our, you know, like, we will all go fight evil together, right? Like, there, there's egos to deal with, there's ideological differences to deal with, there's moral compromise to deal with, right? Like, you have to... Yeah. And Hank just crossed a serious line and he's going to... I mean, and Bruce Banner is now basically off the team as the Hulk, right? Like, you can't have the Hulk there anymore. Like, the team is kind yeah. of now Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, totally. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I have quite the same... Uh, I, it didn't read as, like, quite so cynical to me. It just felt like a, you know, way of, like, this is not a nice, neat Avenger story. We're not going to feed you... You know, like you're not at the end of this, you're not going to be like, hell yeah, Avengers. You're going to be like, oh, oh, the Avengers, huh? <laughs> Pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I, it's, definitely. I don't know. I, I've been weirdly a Mark Millar apologist uh, on these episodes. He definitely veers into a lot of stuff I don't like. He definitely veers into that kind of like casual cruelty and cynicism that we've talked about that is a turnoff for me. And he will do that more and more in different comics. Um, this just didn't like set off those bells for me. No, I do think, I mean, he, he tempers himself in Ultimates, whether you realize it or not. Like, yeah. in The Authority, yeah. there's an image of a Hulk analog yelling, comics are for the R-word at, at the top yeah, of his lungs. And sucks. it's like, that is that is the shocky, shock jock Miller that, those you know, types of comics it's I It's too bad, hate. because, like, I mean, it's not too bad for him. He's clearly massively successful, because, like, Wanted, Kick-Ass, Logan right the ultimates turning into the avengers all these are like movies that have all become big names um he's clearly super successful but like it's too bad because he's obviously a really talented writer you know he's like brimming with these good ideas and it it just feels like he needs an editor (laughs) he needs someone just to be like no no that's dumb that's uh that's childish mark like just just clip that out you know um yeah i mean but you know that's i don't know that's part of the appeal for a lot for People, I, yeah, I think maybe. in some ways too, yeah. is like the he'll do anything. Um, I do, I do have to say too, like I like Miller's Marvel Universe work. Yeah, I don't um, think I've ever read any. I've never read Old Man Logan. The stuff he's done, yeah, Old Man Logan. I mean, I will stand for any day. Um, his Marvel Universe work is good. Ultimates again, amazingly influential. Yeah. Like it is, it is remarkable how much of of what we know now. I mean, he has a great about the Avengers. He, the, and the he does a great job of way. establishing this world in these characters even if you have no context for them in six issues, right? This feels like a complete story and like, it does feel like a bringing the team together. Even if at the end of the day, you're like, man, this team does not hold together. Um, like, well, and it's also like, I think it's even tighter than ultimate X-Men intro, which, you know, we talked about that as being the, okay, if you were going to relaunch X-Men, what's the movie you tell? And ultimates is totally that. It's like, if you're going to relaunch the event, it's not even really relaunching it though. This is, I mean, like, this is unlike any Avengers we've ever seen, right? Like, them basically being a shield team and the fact that like they have to be that's yeah i mean we've never seen like this this doesn't even feel like an adaptation this feels like i'm going to take these characters and tell a whole new story i mean the closest thing is cap coming out of the ice but besides that like bruce banner working on the super serum that's brand new like yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. um yeah no it's tying it's tying the marvel sort of legacy together in ways that make sense but are new um and I, i think that's where Miller and, and here Hitch tend to be. At Can't the wait best, to see what he does with is when Hawkeye. they're doing it. 
Yeah, we got Hawkeye coming out of the scene, Black Widow coming up next. So, all right. So we've had a good long conversation yeah. here around the Ultimate Universe. I do have to say, too, like, I think I wind up conflicted on Ultimates because of the way it ends. Hmm. Generally, yeah. it's a very compelling read. I think so, too. It, um, literally, I was like, I mean, it's, I said this, it's just like, I was like, man, this is really good. And then he had just like a bunch of detail. Oh, also that Freddie Prince Jr. joke just lands with a thud. And I am positive it did at the time, too. Like, how many times the Hulk is just screaming, like, bring me Freddie Prince Jr. Like, that joke, he hits that button over and over again. and He bangs it hard. And it, he bangs and it's like, maybe, I could hard. see, like, maybe once. I didn't even think it would be funny once. But maybe once would be acceptable. Him, like, repeating that joke, like, four or five times is just, like, so tedious. Yeah. it's a And yeah. it kind of sucks the, uh, the, like, energy out of that scene. Um, a yeah. little bit. Yeah. A little bit. But over, overall, right. thanks for listening, I mean, buddy. This sounds, we're really critical of this. Overall, I think this is my favorite thing we've read in the Ultimate well, Universe, though. <laughs> I mean, Ultimates is you cannot you cannot have a conversation about it without. And again, like I think we've said this on many occasions, the comics that generate the most criticism or conversation tend to be the ones that we have the most thoughts sure. about. Yeah. And that means there was there's something within that that is either good or compelling or interesting and again like i read ultimates a lot more closely than i read ultimate x-men or ultimate spider-man yeah, this year agreed yeah so that there's there's definitely a lot to that as well um but yeah no i'm curious like what people think of it now because it is you know almost 20 years later um for those of you that are coming to it fresh how does it read does it feel awesome does i think dated? i think besides you know, the celebrity references this reads like something that could have just come out which i don't feel mm -hmm. about the other yeah. stuff we've read so um it's very rooted in celebrity. Yeah, that, that stuff kind of stinks. It, yeah. That is hard to shake. Okay, so... I don't know that it stinks so much as it's just... It's, it's 2002. Well, I mean, it, there's no yeah, shaking it. I don't know. I mean, I think there is something to be said about, like, not tying your comic down to, like, the hotness of the day, right? You know, like, putting in those, like, incredibly, you know, like, con modern... Not modern, contemporary um, references about, like, hey, you know what's, like, hot right now? This meme, and I'm going to put it in my comic book. And in nine months, this comic book will seem dated. Like, there is something to writing your comic books so that they don't seem immediately dated, you know? Like, I think the Ultimate Universe actually has kind of a mandate, though, to hit what is this, what is the Marvel Universe yeah. in this year as these comics come yeah, out. Yeah, that's and fair. I oh, I mean, one of the easiest George ways W. Bush shows up, uh, you know, clearly. Like, he draws George W. Bush, uh, like, the, the caricature-looking George J.W.B., yeah, no, he's he is in the comic and he talks to Captain America. Um, but okay, yeah, let us know your feedback over on uh, the My Marvelous Year Slack if you're a patron or uh, at My Marvelous Year online. This has been My Ultimate Year Part 4. Again, this will come out via the Patreon uh, subscribers. It'll come out soon come out what march yep, 1st yep. and um and i don't know why i'm telling you <laughs> exactly. when it'll come out to... as you're listening yep. to it right that's at the end of the episode is the best time to tell them when this episode came out yeah yeah you got to get all the important info um but obviously we'll be doing part five next and you can find the comics we'll be reading there in the show notes so thanks to everybody on patreon who supports us who makes these my ultimate yes, specials thank possible you. thanks to everybody who joined us live that was super cool to have some people around uh, for the Q and A and for the ultimate yeah, recording. Yeah, yeah. Our That's first, really our first live recording. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've had we have a couple people watching. So now you yeah. can see that Zach and I really effectively do this all in one take, um, with no mistakes. <laughs> I think. Yeah, generally this was pretty good. Sometimes we have uh, we have stuff I got to clip out, but I don't think this will be one of yeah. those. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for listening. This has been. My ultimate year...
goodbye. This is the show. That's the show, babe. Good sign off. This is the show. Sign off. Sign off. <laughs>